Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, we gathered for one of our United Nights. These are nights of worship where middle and high school joins together to lift high the name of Jesus. Dallas Greenway encouraged and challenged us with a message from 1 John 4 on the love of God. We hope you enjoy the message. Guys, isn't it so fun just to worship together? It's a lot of fun, isn't it? It's a good thing. Man, I just was uh, thinking, I was sitting in the back room for part of worship, if I'm being honest, and then I got to be here for the last song and then some, and just of of how thankful I am, how thankful we are as a staff that we get to uh, worship with you, that we get to spend time with you, that we get to walk through some of the ups and downs of life with you, that we get to talk uh, Bible with you, Uh, all all of the things that you guys allow us to be in in your lives. We are just incredibly thankful for it, and I'm, I'm really thankful for nights like tonight and really proud of you guys for being here, proud and thankful that you are, are here, because this is not normal. I mean, there's a lot of things that you could be doing with your Sunday night. Uh, some of you are probably right now thinking about like, hey, when's this guy going to get done because I got to finish my homework, right? Uh, others of you are thinking, when's he going to be done because I need to get back to Call of Duty or uh, maybe Roblox for some of you in here. Uh, some of you are thinking, when's he going to be done? Um, maybe because you just want to go to bed, right? Like there's a lot of different things that you could be doing right now and that your friends, like people you you know and love and hang out with every day that they're doing right now. And you could easily be with them, but for some reason, and maybe it's of your own doing, maybe it's of your parents doing where they were like, no, you're going because you can't drive and I want you out of the house for two hours, right? Uh, or three for United Night. So, but, but for some reason, you are here. And for that, we are incredibly thankful. And we don't believe that it's an accident that you're here, even if you were pushed out by your parents. But but that God is stirring something up and that God is doing something in our midst whether we realize it or not. Uh, Maybe it's been a minute since we've kind of shared vision for what United Nights are, but here's what I do know is that there's some high schoolers who aren't here, and I'm not knocking them, like I I get it, and I'm sure I was there at some point, but there's high schoolers who aren't here tonight because middle schoolers are here, right? Which, where are my middle schoolers at in the room, by the way? Yes, thank you. We're strong, we're strong. Uh, There's also middle schoolers who are not here right now, and I'm not knocking them, but they were very nervous. Like, high schoolers are strong, seniors are big. Well, most of them, right? Like, uh, I was never a big senior, maybe a round senior, I don't know. Uh, No, I was like 40 pounds lighter, okay? I was was felt, I was in the best, that's probably not true either. Uh, But... Middle schoolers are afraid sometimes of high schoolers. Like, hey, what are they going to do to us? What are they going to say to us? What are they going to think about us? And for that, I know some middle schoolers are not here. But these these nights, these United Nights, like one of the huge reasons we do it is because we are FGS Fellowship Greenville students. We're not just high school and just middle school, but it's all of us. And there is something beautiful and, and spiritual, mystical even, that happens in this room when we get together and we proclaim truths like we just did in song, or we get together and we read scripture like we're about to do in just a few minutes. There's something incredibly powerful that happens. And then another big reason that we do this is because here's what we want to help you guys see, is that part of what we're instructed to do in the scriptures, part of what we are, are invited to do in this life that God has invited us into is that the younger generation, or that the older generations would, would disciple and, and be a model and example to the younger generations, and that the younger generations would then be able to look up to the older generations and say, hey, mommy, that's what I want to be when I grow up, right? Like, and, and that's what we're doing here in this room. Whether you realize it or not, high schooler, there are middle schoolers, and maybe this is like really intimidating. You're like, well, don't look at me, middle schooler. I'm not supposed to be, per-. like, 
but, but there are middle schoolers who are looking up to you as a high schooler, and in worship, part of them worshiping is like staring at you and wondering, hey, what are they going to do? How are they worshiping? And maybe how that affects the ways that they worship. High schoolers, we hope that you start to see middle schoolers and, you know, elementary schoolers and, and, and maybe babies too, although, hey, just so you know, I'm, I love my kids and my babies. Uh, like when they were babies, uh, other babies, I was never interested in holding, okay? So if that's you, it's okay, I think. Uh, something God's working out. But high schoolers, we hope that you start to see middle schoolers not as an annoyance, but as an opportunity. Like, hey, what might God want to do through me just as I live and breathe and, and serve and worship and participate in the reading of scripture and teaching. Like, what if you started to see those younger than you as people who really were looking up to you? Man, what a responsibility you have. Maybe you'd start to enter into some of those moments, and then maybe it would help you think a little bit more about, man, well, how am I living? Is my life a life worth mimicking? Is my life a life that, yeah, I hope every middle schooler lives the way I do, or Maybe that's a challenge to you. Middle schoolers, we hope that you are able to look up to some high schoolers and that you wouldn't be so intimidated, although some high schoolers can be intimidating, okay? But some of them have really good things to say, like middle school boys wear deodorant, right? And they can instruct you in some of those things, okay? We're, we're working on that. It's, we're going to do a whole teaching series on uh, what, what to do with BO, right? What to DO with your BO. And the answer is to put deodorant on it. Uh, so, but, but middle schoolers, for real, I hope that you start to look up to these high schoolers and that they don't become intimidating, but they do become examples and people that you want to model your life after. And that, man, that's, that's what we see in the scriptures. Older generations looking down, and I know it's not the true generational gap, but I think you understand what I'm saying, that the, that the, <laughs> the old high school boomers, thank you, Marcos, <laughs> that, that the high schoolers would would start to see middle schoolers as an opportunity, not annoyance, and that middle schoolers might be able to look to high schoolers as an example and not something to be intimidated or fearful of. So tonight we are going to get into the word. You can go ahead and turn into 1 John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be tonight. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture. Uh, it does have to do with love, okay, but not that kind of love, all right? So uh, when we were discussing this, Matt Densky told me to do uh, something like a passage section of scripture on twos because it's a two night. I'm not exactly going to do that, although kind of, uh, and I'll tell you in a minute why. But before we get to 1 John chapter 4, I thought that I would at least include some twos in the Bible. Excuse me, a little gassy. I didn't even have pizza. Uh, the first thing is that there, the, the Bible is split into two parts. I don't know if you're aware of this. The Old and the New Testament. Hmm. Turn to your neighbor and just say, hmm. <laughs> Another thing. Another thing you may not know, but in Genesis 1, when God was creating everything, he created two great lights. The sun and the moon. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Can I get a sheesh for the sun and the moon? There we go. Maybe you're aware of this, maybe you're not, but in the scriptures there is a first Adam and a second Adam. The first Adam being Adam and the second Adam being Jesus. Well, <laughs> Adam too. Well, yeah. I don't know if he appears... Yeah, Jesus is the second Adam. We're not talking about that tonight. That'd be something if you don't know about, you should look into. Uh, also, you may not know this, but the guy named Noah had an ark. Can I get a sheesh for Noah? Yeah, yeah. I think Nathan, she Nathan, why don't, 
why don't we Sheehan your last name? Do people... <laughs> but you, you were plugging your ears, so I felt like I had to call you out. It, lo- it looked like you were plugging... You weren't actually plugging your ears. You weren't actually plugging your ears. Uh, so Noah had an ark. He put the animals in two by two, all right? We, we better hurry up and get done with this. We're wasting t- so much time. Uh, Jesus sent out the disciples. He sent them on kind of their own little missionary journeys, and he sent them out in twos. You may not be aware of that. Look it up in the Gospels. The word God, this is kind of interesting, God with a capital G we're talking about, appears in all but two books of the Bible. Did you know that? Did you know that? It does not appear in the Song of Solomon, the best Valentine's Day book. You figure that out when you're older. Uh, or... In the book of Esther, do you guys know that? Or as some of you would say it, who have an accent, Esther. I don't know what your accent is there, but yeah, it's probably probably not. Uh, Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible. Guess how many words it has? Some would say. (laughs) Nobody, Nobody in history has sheeshed for Jesus wept. I'll tell you that right now. Until, until tonight it happened. All right, and then this, this is a little bit of what we're talking about tonight. Easy, the easiest verse to memorize. Marcos, you're, you are on fire tonight, my friend. Oh, you said that, Daniel? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, all right, a little bit of what we're talking about tonight is that two in the Bible often is referring to some, some union in the Bible. Which one of those unions is? Marriage, right? Man and woman start in Genesis uh, God and man, there's a, a, a union between us and man and a union between Christ and the church, his bride, the church. And the, it is this union, specifically the one between us and God, which we're going to be talking about tonight. And what I, what I hope to do is I hope that this is an encouraging night. It's maybe going to be some things that you are somewhat familiar with, maybe something that kind of just makes you think a little bit more like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? And then I hope that there also is a challenge from the book of First John uh, chapter 4 for us tonight. So we are indeed talking about this, this union. We are talking about this union between us and God, and so much of it has to do with this word that we've been using for the last couple of weeks, probably way more than we would like to, uh, or maybe some of you're like, I want to use it some more, right? But it's the four-letter word, uh, love, okay? Love, you were like, four-letter word? That's always a bad word. Uh, no, but it is, it is the word love. And I know, I'm not trying, like, I know that Single Awareness Day, National Single Awareness Day is past us, and can we get an amen that it is past us? Yes, yes. I felt like many of you would, uh, would enjoy that. But but the reality is with love, and I know Valentine's Day for some of us is a more difficult day than others. Maybe it's a reminder of love that we don't have, or maybe it's a reminder of love that we did have and do not currently have, right? I was with you guys for most of my middle and high school years when it came to love and not having a Valentine, because uh, I didn't have a Valentine. Oh my gosh. I didn't have a, I don't think I had an, act. I, I had my first girlfriend in, in, uh, in, gosh, in middle school. That's not true. My senior year of high school, okay? I held strong. So if you are right there with me, then, then let's do this thing. Yeah, Marcos raising his <laughs> Thank you, brother. Lord, bless him and keep him. Um, but so I guess I didn't have a true Valentine until, uh, until college, which is kind of crazy. That's wild, man. Um, I'm going to go home and cry. Just kidding. I have a forever Valentine now, and I, I think we're okay. But that's, that's not the only kind of love that there is, right? 
that's not the only kind of love that there is. It's not just guy-girl love or boyfriend-girlfriend love or marriage love, but there's all kinds of loving relationships in our life, and those exist because we, like, we are creatures who need love. Like, we, we were designed to be creatures who would, would receive love, and we are designed to be creatures who give love as well. And love does sometimes come in those Valentine's kind of day loves, but it also comes in, in friendships. It comes through your family. It comes in, in a ton of ways that we don't have time to talk about tonight, but we all, I think, would agree that we do need love. So let me ask you this question. Where lately have you been trying to find love? All right, just think, just, just think, think with yourself, okay? But where, where in your life have you been trying to find love? I mean, let's be, let's be real. Like Valentine's Day did just come and pass. But how many of you for a time, right? And maybe you're still there, but, but you, you are working, right? You're, you're, you're trying hard to find love in another human being, being like relational love. Like I want, I want a girlfriend, I want a boyfriend, I want a Valentine, I want that kind of love. And so you would fix your hair and in a way that would attract that kind of thing, or at least you hope. You would dress in a way that would attract that kind of relationship, or at least you hope. You would like, hopefully not spray on Axe body spray, but some sort of like good, smell good thing, right? In, in the hope of attracting that kind of love, you would go to crazy lengths. In fact, here's, here's kind of the silliest thing. I think I've, I've decided this is the silliest thing that I did to try to get love and find love. And mostly it was just, hey, would my now wife, my future bride, would she even notice that I existed, right? We're going on this thing. I met her in college. We're walking around with this, uh, it was called the Campus, uh, Campus Crusaders or something like that. And, uh, and we were in charge of like bringing new people onto the campus and, and we would show them around and whatever. And so they were teaching us how to give a tour. It was a mock tour of our campus at North Greenville University. And, uh, and my wife happened to be in this group with me. And I had like seen her before, but I'd been in school, I'm telling you guys, I'd been in school for like two and a half years at this point in college, and I had never seen her before. She'd only been there first semester, I would find out later. I swear that she was hiding. Uh, but, but now she's in this group. I've, I'd seen her from afar like a couple times. I knew what her name was. Her name is Brittany. And I, I, I now had an opportunity in this group. This is where I'm going to stick out. So I'm cracking jokes the whole time. And you know, if you are a class clown or if you have somebody who, who is even remotely funny, right, you know when you're on and you're killing it, and people are laughing, and it doesn't matter what you say or what you do. I was like, she is going to notice me, and here's, like, that, that's fine, right? Jokes are, are fun and funny and can be a way to attract another person, uh, but what, the thing I felt like, this was, this was going to be just the cherry on top of this, this dessert, right, and let's not go too far with that, but the cherry on top of this, hey, will she notice me? Please notice me, Brittany, was I threw myself <laughs> into some shrubbery, okay? <laughs> That's it. I, I thought that the crowning, I thought that the crowning jewel would be as we're going around on campus, this is what's gonna get her to notice me. Ah, right, like into, into this shrub. And sure enough, and she'll tell you this story. She says, she says that she feels like she heard a voice that was saying, <laughs> don't think this guy's an idiot, basically, right? This is... And because of that, because of that jumping into this shrubbery, uh, she actually came and started talking to me. It was our first conversation. She started talking to me, and now, years later, we are married, okay? Yeah. The, the point, 
the point in all that, okay? Where, what is the point? The question is, where are you looking for love? One of the ways that we try to do it is doing some silly things to attract another person. Other ways that we try to find love is like just in friendships, right? And so sometimes we'll make ourselves appear or act or talk a certain way just to attract friends. Sometimes in friendships we will uh, keep things from other people, call it keeping a secret or, or maybe call it lying or maybe just pretending. Like, but we keep things from other people because we think if they find out, maybe they won't like us. Or if they find out, then maybe they will actually hate us because we've got this deep, dark secret that we keep from them. And so, but, but we do it so that we can have friends. For some of us, the places that we're looking for love aren't so much in the face-to-face, even though, man, that would be great. But we've decided that maybe the only place that we're going to find love is online. And I know that sounds silly, but how many of us try so hard to get noticed and accepted and get likes or to get people messaging us or to get followers? And so we do things like follow for follow, or we, we do things like taking 100 pictures of the same shot just to make sure we get it right. Or my wife told me just the other day that a mom with her kids, this is like how far it's gone in our society. And I'm sure that I'm guilty of it in some way, shape, or form too. But, but a mom with her kids pulled up to the park, got out of the park, put her kids on the playground, took a picture that she could post to the gram, presumably, and took her kids, put them back in the car, and left. But, but why is she doing that? She's doing that in some way, shape, or form to, to find love in the form of acceptance online. And I know that's silly, but there's, there's far worse stories out there about what people will do to find acceptance and love and so much of that online. So where, where have you, not just girlfriend, boyfriend, relationship kind of love, but any kind of love and, and acceptance and just, man, I, I just need somebody there. Where have you been looking for love? You know, Probably in our society right now, there's like more avenues to find love than ever before. And yet, more and more studies continue to come out that make me wonder, man, is this like one of the most loveless times to be alive right now? Where people just really don't feel like anybody cares, don't feel like anybody loves. And again, I'm not just talking about relational love, but I'm talking about actual people like knowing and loving and caring about me. It was hard for me to find any studies or polls of how, how loved did people feel or do you feel like you have love daily in your life. But I did find this one study that was really interesting and really sad. It was a poll that was taken from a pretty large sample of people that said over 54% of America, this is just in the past couple years this poll came out, that 54% of America feels like nobody knows them. And you were saying, like, well, that's, that's not love. But part of being loved is being known. And if over half of our culture feels like nobody really knows who they are, then I'd be willing to bet that there's an equally large number of people who feel like they aren't really loved. And that's sad. But such a big number, I would be willing to bet that there's people in this room who, are, who regularly, you wonder, who cares about me, who who knows me? Who loves me? So where have you been going to find love? What if I told you that maybe you, you don't have to look or try as hard as you've been looking and trying? That maybe it's been right there in front of you all along and for whatever reason you just haven't engaged with it or you haven't accessed 
this love or you haven't gone to this one who actually is love. That's what we're going to look at tonight. In this book of 1 John, if you haven't turned there already, you can go or it's going to be on the screens. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 is where we're going to be tonight, kind of short. We'll wrap up here in just a few few minutes. But the context for this passage, or, or for this book rather, is this was written by John, the beloved, one of the closest guys to Jesus when he was here with his disciples, one of his kind of top three amigos. And he, again, he was, he was oftentimes referred to as the beloved. And most people agree that John wrote this letter and that he wrote it to a group of churches who were struggling. It was a group of churches who had a lot of false teachers, people who were saying things that kind of had a little bit of truth when it came to Jesus and when it came to what was true, but then they would take it and they would twist it in a big way. One of the most prominent false teachings at this time was this belief that, hey, once you believe in God or once you believe in Jesus, once you trust in him and and submit to him, that now you're good for eternity. It's kind of this idea that once you get your your ticket on the train to heaven, that now, here's the twist, like like that's true, okay? If you believe in Jesus, if you trust in him, if you submit to him, yeah, you you get to go be with him once you are dead and gone from, from this earth. But the twist was that, so now you can do whatever you want with your body. You can do whatever you want with your life. You can sin all that you want and grace will abound. And that was a lie that people started to believe in at the time. And what was happening was people in these churches were starting to break off and go and say, hey, well, these guys are not teaching that and we like that. Like, that sounds good. Hey, I get my ticket to heaven and now I can do whatever I want. Like, I can sin, I can say whatever I want, I can be whatever I want, I can... I can live however I want. That sounds really good. So I'm going to go do that over here. And churches like splinters were starting to take, take hold in these churches. And people were leaving. And, and John writes this, this letter to a group of churches to be circulated around these churches to say, hey, no, no, no. This is what's true. This is what's true of God. This is what's true of you. And here's how now you are called to live in light of this truth. He's trying to do what I hope happens tonight, that you would be reminded of truth, that you would be encouraged by truth, and that you might be challenged to live different because of it. Now, before we get into this passage, one thing I want to make sure that we kind of ask, too, is if, if these people, I mean, oftentimes we, we think that the Bible was, it was written, you know, thousands of years ago, especially stuff like the Old Testament, how could that possibly be, possibly be relevant to today? But Aren't false teachings still happening in our midst? I don't necessarily mean like right here on stage. Thankfully, we have many good, good teachers, like great teachers even. Number one being Matt Densky, am I right? Yeah, yeah, look at that guy. Look at that guy. <laughs> Jesus saves, fam. <laughs> we got we to gotta all get us a hat like that. Thankfully, we have great teachers at this church. But man, haven't you heard people talking about all kinds of things that you're like, wait a minute, how does that line up with what I know to be true from the scriptures? Things saying similar things that, hey, as long as you trust in Jesus, you can live however you want. You get to decide your identity. You get to decide what you say. You get to decide what you do and who you do it with. All these twists and turns, all of it having a little bit of truth that you're like, oh yeah, that's true. But then there's a real sharp twist if you're paying attention. But people are being taken up by that. They're being pulled away by that. And those things, this is why John is writing, they are dangerous, they are heresy, and they are deadly. 
those twisted truths lead nowhere but to death. How many of us in this room may have been tempted to believe one of those things, though? One of the things that I'm so thankful for at this church is that what we've tried to beat the drum of over the years, I've been here since 2001, which is a really long time. Some of you, most, none of you were even born then, were you? I mean, that's kind of crazy. Hannah, you were born? Okay. Okay, thank you, goodness. <clears throat> but one of the things that we've tried to beat is keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's what we try to do over and over again here. So when you hear those twists of truth, I want you to be on guard. In fact, if you read the rest of this book of 1 John, you actually see he talks about things like testing the spirits. Go back. Hey, when you hear somebody telling you something, that you're like, hmm, that seems a little off. Well, go back and check and see if it's a little off. This is kind of a side point, but I think it's a big point in light of the context that John is writing in. And I think it's very, very key for us. Even things like, maybe you're like, well, I don't really believe that you can just do whatever you want. Man, I'm spending too much time on this, aren't I? But man, how much have we wrapped up our faith in politics now, right? Yeah, I'm, I can't, I can't, I can't get started on that. Just, just think, like, mm. okay, we, can, we, I can't, I can't do a Matt Densky <laughs> getting out of here at <laughs> tw- This, this man has a habit of going long. Is all I'm saying, and uh, and I would not, I would not stand for it. Okay, okay, here we go. La, 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 la. Uh, all right, First John, First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. But we're only going to read two verses right now, and then we're going to camp on it for a second. Okay. Hey, beloved. Remember, this is John writing to these churches. Here's how he's addressing these churches. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is, just asking you, where are you going to find love? How hard are you trying? What are you doing? For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, this is one of my favorite three words in the Bible period, one of my favorite verses ever, God is love. Some of you are like, well, yeah, all right. This isn't just saying that God is loving, which he is incredibly loving, This doesn't just say that God does loving things, although he does incredibly loving things. But this is saying that that is who he is. He is love. This is incredible. You know, one of the reasons this is incredible to me is because isn't this what our world wants? In fact, if you ask most people, the average person on the street, hey, what is all of life about? What are are we here for? One of the most common answers you're going to get is, well, love, man. Like us loving other people. People would start talking about how the world is united in love. Like, like, don't you know a lot of people who, even if they're not Christians, they would say, man, isn't it all about love? The beautifully incredible thing about that, I'm stumbling over my words, is that God is love He's the one that they're looking for and they don't even realize it, but it's plain as day here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He is love. I said, it's not just that he's loving. It's not just that he does, uh, does loving things, even though he does, but at the core of his character, at the core of his being, at the core of who our God is, is love. How is this possible? 
Because that's not who we are. That's one of the reasons it's so hard for us to fathom. What does this really mean? Because we know people who are oftentimes the exact opposite of love. We know people who sometimes they, they seem to exhibit love as a, as, a character, as a character quality, but other times they don't. Like we, we experience such an imperfect picture of what love is. That's why it's so hard for us to fathom what this means. But God is love. How can this be? I think one reason that John can say this, which this is another, this is a thing that just like blows my mind. How, what, what is even happening here? If you've ever thought about what was before there was any of this, before the universe was created, before we were created, God was there. Have you ever thought about that? God was there. And we believe that he's God, the three in one. Think about this, okay? Your mind's probably starting to blow. Like, before anything was there, like before time, and like a, like before an animal. Yes, before all of those things, God was there. God, three in one, Father, Spirit, Son. And before any of us or anything that we know in this world or in this universe was ever created, he was there, Father, Spirit, Son, love. Perfect love between them. Perfect unity. Perfect community. What we now call the Trinity was before all of this. That's wild. Love has been there from the very beginning. God has been there from the very beginning. He doesn't, he doesn't need us to experience love. He doesn't need us to, to be called love because just within himself, he is love. That's wild. That's wild. The other thing to point out here is the word that's being used for love. This is another crazy thing. There's a few different words that are used for love within the Greek language. If you know about the Bible, you know that, that you, know, you may know that the New Testament was written in Greek. And there's a few different words that could have been used uh, for the word love. But this specific word, when we're talking about God is love, when we're talking about uh, if you know him, then you know love, uh, is agape. Everybody say agape. Agape. And agape love is the highest form of love. It is love that is selfless, completely selfless. It's love that is unconditional, completely unconditional. It is love that always seeks the best of the other. We have a God who is love. Not just like loving and does some not, not, not just nice. I think a lot of times when we think about God's love, we're actually thinking about, yeah, God's really nice, isn't he? No, no, no. This love that we're talking about, agape love, it's completely selfless. So much so, we're going to read in just a few minutes. He was, he was willing to give up his only son for us, give it all so that we might have life. His love, this agape love, is completely unconditional. Some of you are sitting there and you're like, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear about God being loved, but that's not for me. But it's completely unconditional. It's not based on anything you do. It's about everything that has been done for you. It doesn't matter who you are or what you struggle with or what you're going through or where you come from. It's unconditional. There are no conditions. It doesn't matter how hard you try or don't try. It doesn't matter how perfect you are or lack thereof. It is unconditional love. And it is love that always seeks the best. 
Maybe that's the hardest one for some of us to swallow. But that in all things, this God who is love is going after our best. Here's what I actually want you to do for just like 30 seconds is close your eyes. And just try, try to believe because I think it's so hard for us. Try to believe that this really is true. That there really is a God. Believe, believe this. Just try to consider this in your head. That there really is a God who is love. Love that would give everything and has given everything for you. Try to see and think and believe that there really is a God who knows you in and out, knows you through and through, knows everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, and all that, will, that is still to come. All the good, all the bad. And that he still loves you. It's unconditional. And then imagine that there's a God which I know some of you are going through some extremely hard circumstances and you can't see the light. It feels like it's just dark. But imagine that there's a God who really does work in all of that, is working in all of that for your good. He always seeks the good. You can open your eyes. Wouldn't that be awesome? And yet that's what we have. That's what we have in God. The selfless part. Let's, let's, let's keep moving through this, this passage. The selfless part. How, how do we know? Because you're like, okay, that's a really great idea, but how do we know this is actually true? Well, the biggest act of this love, the biggest showing, the biggest display of this love in history. Verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest. It was shown. It was brought to reality among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or he made a way, put really simply, he made a way so that we might have life and life abundant. And it is through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, God giving completely selflessly his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have it all. And here's where it gets even more wacky. You hear that? Okay, we have life. Here's what God has actually done for us. That union, that love, that community that he has shared within himself. I know, it's crazy. It, it, we, this is one of the mysteries of, of, of who our God is. This is something we can't possibly truly wrap our minds around. That this God, three in one, Holy Spirit, Son, Father, that they have invited us into that union with them. They have invited us into that loving relationship with them. Where, where, did I get, where did I get that? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, so that we would be one with him. This is something that Jesus prayed. You can look in, in John chapter 17, written by the same guy who wrote this letter. We have been invited and made one with this God so that at any time we now have access to the one who is love. That's amazing. 
That's astounding. That's mind-blowing. That ought to get your heart beating. God has invited us to the table with him. Why? Because that's who he is. That's who he is. It would be like, it would be like the Rams calling me up. The Rams are a football team and they just won the Super Bowl last week, okay? And they say, hey, we've got a, we've got a ring ceremony coming up. We need to fly you out, private jet. You're gonna get to eat whatever food you want on this jet. I'm already in, okay? I don't care what the end result is, but we're gonna fly you out. We, we need you to get fitted for your ring. Well, I'll tell you right now, my fingers are really tiny. Give me the smallest one you got, right? Uh, you need to get fitted for your ring. You're gonna be a part of all celebrations from this point forward regarding the Super Bowl because you, my friend, Dallas Greenaway, are a part of our team. You are a Super Bowl champion. I'd be like, what? It doesn't make sense. I didn't do anything to earn it. I wasn't on the team. I don't even really like the team, okay? I kind of wish that the Bengals had won, if I'm being honest. Uh, But... (laughs) Who, Who knew? Who knew it'd be a mention of the Bengals? Who knew? But it's like that. But it's not a Super Bowl team, or it's not your championship soccer team, or it's not the Atlanta Braves, like Jason Malone, shout out back there. It's, it's not any of those teams that have invited you to be a part of what they're doing, but it's the God of the universe, the God who is love. He's invited you to be a part of this union. Mind blown. What in the world? So, so what, do we, what do we do with that? We're, we're invited to be a part of this union. What, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, here's what happens. A loving relationship with God or, or a relationship with Jesus results in love. A, a relationship with Jesus results in love, plain and simple. Love that we experience from him, from the God who we just read about, is love And then love that overflows out of us as we're full up and spreads to everyone around us. It's things that we already read. Let's go read this passage one more time and then we're gonna wrap up. It says in verse seven, beloved, like right there, we could have stopped right there earlier, but that's a reminder of all these things. Hey, remember, you are loved. Beloved, this is who you are. If you are in Christ, if you are a part of this union, then you are loved. Beloved, let us love one another. That's the charge. Let us love one another for God. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love, right? What are we supposed to do now with our lives? Well, if we really do know God, if we really have tasted and seen and experienced his love, then we're now to love others. How do we do that? Do we get them like a Valentine's card once a year or like a box of chocolates or, I mean, shoot, you can get me some of those Reese's heart things. Those are amazing. That would be really loving, but please don't do it just once a year. Do it every day of my life. But, but no, no, no. We're called to agape one another, to love one another in the same way that God has loved us. That's the way we're called to love others. And so you can start to see like how God loves us is pretty miraculous. How God loves us is pretty huge. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty mind-blowing, some of the things that we talked about. And now begins the lifelong journey for you and I to not just taste that love 
and get full up on it ourselves, but to actually love other people that way. Maybe a way to sum up this whole thing in verse 11, the final verse says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Plain and simple. Close your eyes one more time with me. One of the things that's kind of struck me as I've watched my son, he's four, he started to play, keep your eyes closed, keep your eyes closed. As he started to play basketball as a, as a four-year-old kid, is uh, he's really started to believe in himself, like that he's actually good at basketball. And he's, I mean, he's okay, he's pretty good. But one of the reasons that he starts to believe is because every single week, me and my wife show up, his little brother shows up, because, I mean, we're, of course we're going to be there. But like my parents show up. This past week, we had my parents, we had some friends, we had Brittany's dad, and every week it's been new people showing up and cheering him on and pulling for him, so much so that he really starts to believe, man, maybe I really can do this, maybe I really can make a shot as a four-year-old. But the more he is told that, the more he's reminded of that, like, yeah, buddy, you can do it, he actually starts to live it out. So as your eyes are closed, let me ask you this question. What does it look like for you? From, from this moment forward, to every day be reminded that there is a God who loves you with agape love more than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. What does it look like for you every single day to be reminded of that? What does it look like for you to just let that truth wash over you and run through every, every being inside of you, like every part of who you are, just to be washed in the truth that you are loved by an awesome God. And then the second question, and I'll pray. Who do you know that needs that kind of love too? Who's just the first person that comes to mind? that needs that kind of love? What if God's put you next to them or around them or down the street from them or in the same class as them so that they might experience agape love through you? Father, I pray that you would daily, hourly, every, every minute, every second of every day remind us that we are loved by you. We can't wrap our minds around it. It's hard for us to fathom it, but it's true. You love us with that selfless, unconditional, always seeking the best kind of love. Remind us of it, God. Fill us up with it to the point that we overflow, that we can't help but love the people in this room who are around us, the people at school who are around us, the people on our teams who are around us, in our neighborhoods, anybody we come in contact with, God, would they experience that same kind of love through us? Make us a people who love like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.